What a week in sports and what a night it is going to be. Good evening, everyone, from the Ultimate Sports Talk studios in the middle of the great state of Ohio, home of the Cincinnati Reds, Cleveland Indians, and, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have the number one draft pick in tonight's NBA draft. I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk show here at Ultimate Sports Talk. Dot com And like I said, it has been one monumental week for sports. Of course, just a week ago, the Miami Heat won the NBA championship on Monday night. The Chicago Blackhawks took home the NHL title. Tonight's the NBA draft. We're going to get into Aaron Hernandez in just a little bit. We're going to talk about Doc Rivers going to the Los Angeles Clippers. But for those of you who know me, you know that this story is sticking in my crawl, and that is why we are going to go ahead and open up with this story tonight, because I'll tell you what, folks, this story has got me peeved. Without a doubt, I am extremely upset about the hypocritical nature of the NCAA and what they have done to the University of Oregon. They have stripped Oregon of a scholarship, just one, in each of the next three seasons. So three scholarships, one over the next three years, and they've placed the program on probation for three years, opting against the stiffer penalties like a bowl ban, despite issuing the show cause order against their former coach and now the new Philadelphia Eagles coach, Chip Kelly, who apologized to the school, the players, and the fans, which is almost like, just saying, gee, I'm sorry, after you just shoplifted the store. Let's go to Oregon, and let's hear from Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports as he tells us about what's going on in Oregon with these NCAA penalties. Well, I think the Ducks are going to be really, really excited right now. Uh, the, the biggest question was whether they'd receive a, even a one-year postseason ban because Oregon has a national title contending team this year. So while a lot of bowl bans are really all you're missing are the uh, – Beefo Brady Bowl or some, some minor thing, uh, vacation at the end of the year, this was going to have a serious implication for the uh, for the national title race. And uh, Oregon avoided that. Everything else is pretty much nothing. Uh, one scholarship, they probably aren't even at full scholarships anyway. Usually that last scholarship is some walk-on isn't getting a, a free ride. Uh, so I, Oregon uh, got away with a, uh, you know, a, a terrific uh, penalty for them. Um, the problem with the case was it was hard to figure out exactly what rules were violated. Uh, the NCA really wasn't equipped and didn't have rules written to handle a case like the Will Lyles-Chip Kelly relationship, uh, and that made it very difficult for them to pin down and always going to be the challenge here to say what looked sketchy uh, didn't necessarily violate uh, enough significant written rules. If anything, the cloud lists and there's you know, other recruited, other schools can't sit there and say, hey, if you go there, you'll be banned from the postseason or anything like that. Uh, Oregon will, will walk out of this in great shape, um, and the program will move on fine. This is really a penalty that was no penalty at all. And Wetzel's absolutely right. It's a penalty that was no penalty whatsoever. Let's explain what Oregon did. The university and Chip Kelly paid $25,000 in cash to Willie Lyles and his recruiting service complete scouting services. Now, the NCAA's own infractions committee found that Lyles provided cash and free lodging to a prospect in order to steer him toward Oregon. Now, they also found out that Lyles engaged in impermissible calls and off-campus contact with prospects, their families, and their high school coaches. It also said that the Oregon football program exceeded coaching limits by allowing staff members to engage in recruiting activity. Now, from what I understand and what Dan Wetzel was actually talking about was the NCAA could not distinguish how much was too much when you employ a recruiting service such as Complete Scouting Services. They weren't sure just how much money that was too much for Willie Lyles to actually do the job that Oregon 
had employed him to do. So what was more of an infraction? And everybody knows where I'm going to go with this one. So hang on to your hats, everyone. Here we go. Oregon. Paying off a booster who paid off a recruit. Because that's basically what Willie Lyles did. He's not a booster of Oregon. But he did pay off a recruit in order to steer him toward the University of Oregon. Now, is that an infraction? Yes, absolutely. Is it more of an infraction of Ohio State's five players getting tattoos? This is why people laugh at the NCAA and wonder really why it's still around. And I think the NCAA has really outlived its usefulness. These guys are in it for the money. Mark Emmert is taking the NCAA down a road that I think university presidents never anticipated and never wanted. The NCAA is acting really as a broker for universities with television stations. They are negotiating out television contracts, bringing in the money, and dispersing it out to the universities. That's basically the NCAA's main job in today's day and age. Now, Jim Trestle, former coach at Ohio State, was given the same show cause penalty that Chip Kelly was given. Chip Kelly was given 18 months. Now, the chances of Chip Kelly right now coaching in college football are slim and none. He's got a five-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. This is his first season. 18 months is nothing. Jim Trestle was given five years for committing violations, which included lying to the NCAA and failing to report violations. Let's remember the pressure Jim Trestle was under. Not only were the five players from Ohio State under investigation by the FBI because of who they were dealing with in the tattoo parlor, but the FBI allegedly had also told Jim Trestle to keep his mouth shut. That's why Trestle never told anyone what was going on. Kelly did the same thing. He didn't tell anybody what was going on with Willie Lyles, yet OSU is penalized for, according to the facts in the case, eight football student-athletes receiving more than $14,000 in cash payment or preferential treatment from the owner of that tattoo parlor, meaning they receive tattoos. In addition to free or discounted tattoos and cash for memorabilia received by these student-athletes, one football student-athlete, which turned out to be Terrell Pryor, received a loan and a discount on a car. Okay, big deal. That's the dealership's problem. Okay, compare this. Eight football student-athletes receiving more than $14,000. One Oregon athlete receiving upwards of $25,000 in free lodging. Do the scales of justice balance out here? Oregon got three scholarships taken away, as I said at the top of the show, one per year, and a three-year probation. And they still get to go to a BCS bowl game. Ohio State lost three per year, a total of nine. And worst of all, Ohio State received the one-year bowl ban, which allowed Notre Dame last year to play Alabama in the BCS title game, which, as it turned out, may have been a blessing in disguise for the Buckeyes. But nonetheless, they had an unbeaten season, 12-0. and They deserved to be in the championship game and weren't because of what the NCAA did. Oregon, they're allowed to play in the BCS. Ohio State had a national championship contender a year ago. Oregon has a national championship contender coming up this year. Where does this balance out with the NCAA? That organization is archaic. And believe me, Jay Billis agrees with me. There are university presidents that agrees with me. They need to be slapped down. This Miami situation has proven the NCAA has lost its way. You know what's going on there. The University of Miami was dealing with an embezzler. He's going up on charges in 
federal court in Miami. And the NCAA, it was found out, is working with the prosecutor in order to get the prosecutor to ask this gentleman questions that they weren't able to ask. And then, of course, is the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit, which is a lawsuit that you've probably never even heard about. And it has to do with the PlayStation 3 and Xbox games for the NCAA, where they don't put the names on the back, but they strangely resemble former college basketball players. And Ed O'Bannon, a former UCLA star forward, is suing the NCAA because of that, he wants a piece of the pie. Nobody's reporting that story. But it looks like the NCAA is going to lose that lawsuit. And there are several credit reporting agencies that believe they are going to lose that lawsuit also because they have downgraded the NCAA's credit rating because of that lawsuit. Nobody's reporting that story. You're only hearing about it here first, probably here first. This entire situation could break up the NCAA. And I'm going to say right now, I think within five years, the NCAA will be no more. It will be absolved into some other type organization. And it's going to start, remember where you heard this, it will start in Oregon where the Ducks got off easily. Well, tonight is the NBA college basketball draft. It's where the lottery teams Hope to be someplace where the San Antonio Spurs and Miami Heat just left, which is the NBA Finals. And the team with the number one draft pick for the second time in the last three years is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have got that honor again simply because they had one of the worst records in the NBA. Well, there's a lot of rumors going around. They had until 3 o'clock this afternoon to make a trade for that pick. And the Cavaliers were unable to. So, if they have made a deal, then the Cavaliers will have to make the pick and the trade will be announced after the first round. So, let's see what happens. I'm going to go over my mock draft right now, but before we get into it, there were a couple of rumors that were really running rampant that the Cavaliers were involved in. And I'll give you my feeling as to what's going on with it if that's indeed what they do. First of all, the Cavaliers were supposedly offered by the Charlotte Bobcats, soon to be the Charlotte Hornets, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and the number four pick for the Cavaliers number one and number 31, which is the first pick in the second round. So far, that deal has not gone down. But if the Cavaliers end up taking... Nerland's Noel, number one, and Charlotte would end up taking Ben McLemore or even Alex Hunt, then I would say, I'm sorry, Alex Len, then I would say that that deal probably is going down. Another deal that the Cavaliers have been prominently involved in has been with the Dallas Mavericks. As you heard our guest last Thursday night say, the Dallas Mavericks do not want in the first round. The Cavaliers supposedly were offering their 31st and 33rd picks to the Mavericks for the number 13 pick and Sean Marion. And Sean Marion's got one year left on his deal at around $15 million, so it's an expiring contract. That could go down. If the Cavaliers go small with the first pick, I think that Dallas pick, that Dallas trade, will be going down. But... Before we get into tonight's mock draft, because the draft is going to start here in about 20 minutes, let's listen from the NBA and their analyst, Greg Anthony, who looks into the draft and the top five players going into what's going on tonight. Listen, Nerlens Noel, I I think, may have the best motor uh, of of anybody in the draft, and his instincts defensively are on par with anybody that's played that position coming out of college maybe in the last uh, 10 years. But he does have some issues offensively, uh, not not very instinctual. I don't know that he has much of a ceiling on the offensive end. So if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, the, the question is, where are we going to go? Where are we going to get the best bang for our buck? Uh, and, and from a value standpoint, there might be other guys who are going to be better fits uh, for Cleveland. So I, I don't think that it is a foregone conclusion that Nerlens Noel is going to be the first pick in the draft. Otto Porter's in the top five. Anthony Bennett, I think Ben McLemore. Personally, I, I think Tyler Zeller uh, 
has been downgraded somewhat. I think he has far more upside than a lot of people are giving him credit. A lot of folks love Victor Oladipo, and I think, again, he, like a Nerlens Noel, has a tremendous motor defensively. Uh, but remember, we, we had a guy very, very similar to him a year ago, and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who, from a defensive standpoint, was head and shoulders above everybody else, but has struggled mightily from an offensive standpoint, particularly when you're going to be going to a bad basketball team uh, if you're going to go in that top five. So there are going to be some concerns there as well. Keep an eye also on Alex Lynn, I think, as a big is another young man who has a lot of upside offensively, very skilled, also gives you a presence defensively. And his skill set was somewhat hindered, I think, because of the personnel and the style that he had when he was at Maryland. Well, on the clock right now are the Cleveland Cavaliers. As I said, a lot of trade rumors going around. And I think the number one pick for the Cleveland Cavaliers, after Alex Lenz's name has been bandied around, Nerlens Noel, Otto Porter, Victor Oladipo, I think the number one pick comes out of Kansas, and it's the shooting guard, Ben McLemore. McLemore probably has the highest ceiling in this draft, along with Victor Oladipo. But the question on him is whether he's aggressive enough, and that is the question posed to his college coach at Kansas, Bill Self, as he goes over the attributes of Ben McLemore. I just see Ben as being a better prospect when we first got there. And I, I think that, I think, you know, we've only had him for one year, and, and what he did in that one year was the, the best freshman season I've ever had a kid have. And, and he basically led a bunch of seniors as a freshman this year and, and, and did a remarkable job. I, I think his ceiling is so high. I don't, I don't think he's where he, he, I don't even think he's scratching where he can go. Uh, uh, but, but on the flip side, there's a lot of things he can still tighten up. And which to me, uh, you know, you got that potential tag around his neck because uh, uh, he's going to get so much better, and I think it's going to happen quickly. So if I'm an NBA team and I'm seriously considering investing so much money and 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 and, and really uh, the welfare of the franchise, not saying that one person carries the franchise, but obviously the teams teams taking early need to get better. I mean, this is important. I I, I would I really struggle. If guys can come in and compete uh, uh, and go against other guys and that kind of stuff. With the second pick in the NBA draft, it's the Orlando Magic. And what do the Magic need? They need some strength down low. And I think that pick will be Nerlens Noel out of Kentucky, the freshman with the ACL injury. There's still a chance the Magic will trade down, but I doubt it. Nerlens Noel, the number two pick for the Orlando Magic, and he says he's ready for the rigors of the NBA. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, 110%. I mean, especially with how I'm feeling now um, as a three-month three point. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling real great. I mean, I'm moving well. And, I mean, just, you know, just two days, six hours, three out of the day is very paying off. And I'm sure I'll be 110% um, come um, November, December. And, I mean, I got a lot of um, goals I want to achieve in the NBA, so... I mean, it's definitely a blessing to be chosen number one, but I mean, it's just the beginning and I have a lot to approve. I mean, just, definitely just uh, my mentality. I mean, I got a mentality that I definitely want to go in there, you know, and just really um, make a name for myself. Just, you know, every time I step out on the court, I give my all. So, I mean, I think it all complements my shot block. I mean, my passing ability and just being a good teammate, really. And, um, I think all, it's all going to come together in the NBA and um, I'm going to be able to um, be able to do some things right away. The most uneventful pick in this draft is probably number three to the Washington Wizards. There's no doubt if Otto Porter falls into their lap, he is their pick out of Georgetown, as Ron Thompson talks about this stellar Hoya athlete. Defensively, he went to school. He's Georgetown, yes. So you know he's educated as well as, 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 well as plays hard. But what's good about Otto is, is that for some of the reasons you mentioned about Aladipo, the questions go away. He already can shoot the ball at a very high clip. He's, he, he, that's not a question. As you touched on Kawhi Leonard, he reminds me of Kawhi Leonard in a lot of ways, except coming out of college, he's already a better shooter. He's 6'8". He's 6'8". So that tells you several things. He can guard multiple positions. Defensively, he can guard a two. He can guard a three. With a little more strength, which will come with time, he'll be able to guard some force. I think of all of these guys on this board, he's the most ready. And I agree with that. I think Otto Porter is the most ready of any player coming out of college today. With the number four pick, the Charlotte Bobcats, 
Look for them to take out of UNLV, Anthony Bennett, the freshman power forward. Bennett, an outstanding player. He's a top-level talent, and in the last mock draft, I had him possibly going to the Cavaliers, but nope, it will be to the Charlotte Bobcats, soon to be the Hornets. At number five, the Phoenix Suns. There's no way Victor Oladipo of Indiana gets past the Phoenix Suns. And their former coach and GM, Steve Kerr, just loves this Indiana product. My favorite player in the draft is Victor Oladipo. Um, I just think he's tough. He's super athletic. He's defensive-minded. The big question is, can he shoot? And if, if they feel like they can teach Oladipo to shoot, just like the Spurs taught Kawhi Leonard to shoot. Remember, Leonard did not shoot it well at San Diego State, and he's turned into a great shooter because of the development process. If they feel like Oladipo can become a good shooter, I think that's the guy I would take. Hmm. He shot it with a good percentage okay. this year, but he was very selective. But look, Leonard was a 27% three-point shooter at San Diego State. That's why he went, what, 14th or 15th. But what you want these days in the NBA, you want two-way players. You want guys who can defend multiple positions at one end and they, guys who have to be guarded on offense, guys who have to make sure. Look at the finals this year. You know, almost every rotation is filled with two-way players. That allows you uh, to dictate the terms of the game as a coach. And to me, Oladipo is one of those guys who's a modern-day defender. He can guard multiple positions. But again, you know, can he, can he make that outside shot? If so, that's my guy. At the number six spot in the NBA draft tonight, New Orleans. I believe they're going to go for a point guard, and that should be Contavious Caldwell Pope. He's out of Georgia. If Caldwell Pope gets to that position, look for it, New Orleans to pick him up right away. At number seven, the Sacramento Kings, and they will go with a great shooting guard, C.J. McCollum out of Lehigh. He was expected to drop, but his talent is going to move him up in this draft to number seven at Sacramento. At number eight, there's no way Trey Burke gets past the Detroit Pistons. He's a hometown product out of Michigan. He's the point guard that they need. Trey Burke goes to the Pistons. And could somebody tell me, I thought Phil Jackson was a consultant with the Detroit Pistons. And if that's the case... How did they hire Mo Cheeks as a coach over Brian Shaw, who was a longtime assistant under Phil Jackson? That just doesn't make any sense to me. At number nine, this is going to be an outstanding pick. This goes to Minnesota. And the Timberwolves are going to take out of Indiana, Cody Zeller. He'll be a perfect running mate to go alongside Kevin Love and team up with point guard Ricky Rubio in the state of a thousand lakes. At number 10, he's going to fall all the way from being projected a number one pick down to number 10 to the Portland Trailblazers. They need a center, and they're going to go for the Maryland product, Alex Len, who Mike Fratello, former Cavalier coach, thinks probably has the highest upside of anyone. He's seven feet one. He's long. He can run the floor. He's very skilled offensively. He has back-to-the-basket game. He can step out, face up, and make shots. He can pass the ball. He led the ACC in block shots this year, and he's just scratching the surface. This is a very skilled big man. Uh, he's, he could be a very rare type of player in the NBA. He has to mature, get a little bit stronger, gain more experience, but he's a talent. And he's absolutely correct. Let's go down the rest of the lottery picks at number 11, going to the Philadelphia 76ers. Lucas Noguera, he's an international player, a forward. He'll be moving to the Sixers. At number 12, in the lottery, but in the playoffs this year also, Oklahoma City. They were trying very hard to move up further in this draft, but so far were unable to do it. They're going to take out of Gonzaga, the center, Kelly Olnick. I think that's a good pick for them to back up Kendrick Perkins. At number 13, the Dallas Mavericks. If they take this pick, I think there's a deal set with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Sergei Karasov from Russia, and he is definitely coveted by the Cavaliers, but we'll see what's going on. And finally, the last lottery pick that goes to the Utah Jazz at number 14, and their pick is Michael Carter-Williams, the sophomore out of Syracuse. So that rounds out the lottery picks 
for the NBA draft tonight. Don't forget, we'll find out what happens probably in just about 10 minutes from now. Well, not this year, but in 2015, the Boston Celtics are getting an unprotected first-round pick from the Los Angeles Clippers for, guess who, Doc Rivers. We told you last week this deal was going to go down no matter what David Stern said. Rivers was 416-305 and 305 and won the 2008 NBA title during nine years with the Celtics. And he's moving now over to the Los Angeles Clippers and seeing if he can win an NBA championship with them. He was introduced to the media on Wednesday and talked to them about what his goals for the Clipper franchise will be. This is a new challenge for me. Uh, I had nine absolutely amazing years in Boston. And when I look back upon that and, and look where I'm sitting now, uh, that's where we want to go. We want to get to that level of winning. Uh, and, you know, when Andy and Gary and I were talking, uh, and, I, and I said it over and over in Boston, uh, it's nice to do a lot of winning. It's nicer to be the winner. And uh, that's why I'm here. That's that's what I want to do. Uh, and I, quite honestly, at this point in my life, that's the only reason I'm, I'm coaching, uh, is to try to win titles. Uh, and for us, we have to prove that we can win a series first. And, and then build from there. I know I'm in the minority here, especially with the four-letter network, but I think the media has gone overboard on Doc Rivers. The only time Doc Rivers has ever won as a head coach is the only time anyone ever wins in the NBA as a head coach, and that's when they get the talent that they need. Doc Rivers has coached in Orlando, and he's coached in Boston, and he's never won unless he's had Good players, which included Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, Ray Allen, and players of that ilk. Vinny Del Negro got fired in Los Angeles, and he really got a bum deal from the Clippers. He won 56 games this year and got them into the playoffs. Yes, he did lose to the Memphis Grizzlies, but then did so did another team. And the San Antonio Spurs had a tough time with Memphis before they got into the NBA Finals, albeit they won in four straight. Rivers is a good coach, but he was poor in Orlando and poor in Boston. And he had a tough time even relating to Rajon Rondo. If it hadn't been for the constant badgering of Chris Paul, who now suddenly is going to sign a max contract with the L.A. Clippers, and tell me how this isn't tampering in the NBA, then Doc Rivers would probably still be in Boston. Now, according to the four-letter network, Doc Rivers is one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's probably the second-best coach in the NBA behind Greg Popovich. I submit to you, he's not even the third-best coach in Celtics history. Red Auerbach, without a doubt, is the best coach ever in Boston Celtics history. Tom Heinsohn won two NBA titles as coach of the Celtics, and he is number two on the list of most Celtics wins. And K.C. Jones won two titles as coach of the Celtics. Doc Rivers only won one. But Rivers' arrival in Los Angeles will keep Chris Paul there. And it may bring in Dwight Howard, which we're going to get into here in just a second. So it might be worth a draft pick just for that to the Clippers. However, David Stern once again proves to the world that the NBA and its commissioner are hypocritical. Last week he said he was not going to allow this as a trade because the union wouldn't allow it. He wouldn't allow teams to trade active players for a coach, which basically was not the case. And I raised two questions based upon what Stern said last week. First of all, they weren't trading active players, they were trading draft picks, which is what they ended up doing. The active player was Dewan Jordan, who was going to Boston for Kevin Garnett. And secondly, according to Stern, the collective bargaining agreement would not allow it. Why would the union care? Yes, if they were trading an active player for Doc Rivers, maybe that's a problem. But that's not the way the trade was set up. So instead of calling it a trade, how did David Stern get around it? He called it compensation. Now somebody explain to me again the difference between a trade 
and compensation. Nobody knows. But now another stipulation to this deal is that Kevin Garnett or any other Celtic are not allowed to be traded to the Los Angeles Clippers, which is really an interesting stipulation. Garnett and Southern Cal native Paul Pierce will not be going to the Clippers, supposedly. The NBA has forbidden those trades for the rest of the year, not just this year, but after the season. Garnett has also discussed the possibility of retirement with two years and over $23.5 million left on his deal, while Pierce, they're in the throes of being talked about in a trade with the Brooklyn Nets. We'll see if they end up making a deal to that club also. Well, Chris Broussard of the Four Letter Network also announced this morning that Dwight Howard's unhappy again. I'm going to pull out the tissues and, and start my crying frenzy over the fact that Dwight Howard is not a happy camper. He's in Los Angeles making almost as much money as anyone else out in La La Land, but yet Dwight Howard is upset because why? Mike D'Antoni's system just isn't good for him. Is there any system that Dwight Howard can ever play in that he could be happy in? The only offensive system that he could deal with is an offensive system where he is the focal point. But there's only one problem with that. Howard has no offensive game. He's a defensive center. Remember the best year he had in the NBA was about three years ago when it was LeBron's last year in Cleveland, and they got beat by Orlando in the conference finals in six games. And that was because Howard, he had three-point shooters all around him. So he was able to roam the middle, and nobody could double-team him because the three-point shooters from the outside were gunning away. Dwight Howard's never going to be involved with a coach that he's happy with. And even if the rumors are true and he does go to the L.A. Clippers, sooner or later he will have problems with Doc Rivers. You can bet your bottom dollar on it. But what's also interesting is the teams that have changed coaches. Dave Jerger is now the new coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. Jake and Jason Kidd has gone to the New Jersey Nets, or the Brooklyn Nets now. Jeff Hornacek is the new coach of the Phoenix Suns. Mike Budenholzer, an assistant in San Antonio for the last 18 years, is now with the Atlanta Hawks. Steve Clifford has gone to the Bobcats. And Mike Malone is with the Kings. Mo Cheeks with Detroit. And the new coach of the Denver Nuggets, Brian Shaw. He's going to replace George Carl, and what a job he has got to do replacing the NBA's reigning coach of the year who led the Nuggets to a 57-win regular season but was fired after Denver's opening round elimination in the playoffs. Now, Brian Shaw is a longtime assistant under Phil Jackson, the legendary coach who won 11 world championships, but he's happy to be in Denver. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to be around great players from the time that I, I uh, entered into the NBA in 1988 all the way through to when I was retired as a player in 2003 and the guys that I've been able to uh, work for and be around from the Red Auerbachs to the Larry Birds and Jerry West. You know, I feel that uh, I've been prepared by the best of the best for a long time. From the beginning of the time that I came in the league to the end, the, the organizations that I've been with, it's been uh, championship or bust. I love this roster. Um, I think it's young. It's fresh, uh, energetic. There's some, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Coach Carl and uh, what he's been able to accomplish throughout his career. I'm not, you know, trying to come here and fill his shoes. Um, I want to build on what... The, the, the good things that he was able to do with this team. One of the things that I pride myself on is, is actually getting out there, you know, putting in the sweat equity and de uh, being patient yet firm um, and, and developing young players. And so, you know, this team is full of young players with a lot of promise, and uh, it'll be my job to, to get them to play to their full potential and to squeeze as much juice as I can out of the fruit. I have absolutely no problems with Brian Shaw. I think he's got the potential to be an outstanding coach. But 
He's a typical NBA coach. He comes in, this is his first head coaching position, and he's going to come into it with a lot of promise and a lot of pressure because he is following a very well-known and well-established coach in George Carl. Shaw comes from a good pedigree, but it was a mistake in Denver to fire Carl. He was well-liked in the Rocky Mountains. He had the Nuggets after they had to train Carmelo Anthony. They were actually a better team after they traded Anthony than when they had him to New York. So there are definitely big shoes that Brian Shaw has to fill. But because of the power struggle in Denver between Shaw and Josh Krenke, the owner of the Nuggets, Shaw is hired and he walks into a good team. And I'll tell you what, anything less than the third best record in the Western Conference next year will be viewed as a failure by the fans in Denver and it will continue to add to the pressure of Brian Shaw. He's a good coach. I couldn't believe that he didn't get the Detroit job. I thought the Detroit job was fitted for him better. Even the Clippers job I thought was fitted for him better. In Denver, he's going to have some problems. Now, who are the three teams left that have yet to hire coaches? Philadelphia, of course Boston, who just lost Doc Rivers, and Milwaukee. All three teams have yet to hire coaches as they go into the NBA draft tonight. Well, we're going to get into the Stanley Cup final and Aaron Hernandez. We're going to do all that coming up right after this. In baseball news, Cincinnati rookie, 18-year-old Dylan Michael, has been named Rookie of the Year. Michael came up midseason and hit 367 with 21 home runs and 49 RBI. By winning the award, Michael became the youngest player to do so and now faces the challenge of repeating his success and avoiding that famed sophomore slump next season. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. You can also pick up Mark Donahue's book, Last at Bat, simply by ordering it here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening. And let's carry on with what's happened in the week's sports headlines. And the Chicago Blackhawks claimed the Stanley Cup for the second time in four seasons. Chicago's the first team in league history to win a cup-clinching game by overcoming a one-goal deficit in the final two minutes of regulation. Third period, game tied to one. David Krejci working from behind the net, centers it, and Milan Lucic puts it away. Lucic with his seventh goal of the playoffs. Take another look from inside the net as the puck ricochets off the post and gets past Corey Crawford. And the Bruins take a 2-1 lead. Under two minutes left to play. Bruins up 2-1. Blackhawks with the empty net. Jonathan Taves slots it to Brian Bickle, who scores, and the game is tied at two. They're getting a Stanley Cup prep just in case. Good thing they did. Seconds later, Johnny Oduya shoots off Michael for league stick. Dave Bolin puts it in for the improbable 3-2 lead. It's worth one more look as the puck deflects off the post of Boland for the game-winning goal. Two goals in 17 seconds. Blackhawks win 3-2. Rafford and the Blackhawks close out game six. Kane wins the Conn Smythe Trophy as Chicago wins their second Stanley Cup in four years. I was watching that game after our Monday night show, and I remember sitting there and watching the first goal and thinking, okay, we've got overtime, which was would have been the, fir- the fourth overtime in the series. And then 17 seconds later, the Blackhawks scored the game-winning goal with 58 seconds to go, and I'm sitting there in my chair going, oh, my gosh. Just an unbelievable series. And, boy, I'll tell you what, NBC's ratings went through the roof for it. Their ratings are in, and the conclusion of this year's Stanley Cup final was a boon for not only the NHL, but also the NBC Network and the newly formed NBC Sports Network. Now, according to the NBC Sports Group, Game 6 of the final between the Bruins and Blackhawks was watched by 8.1 million viewers, making it the most watched game of the final. The number of viewers for Game 6 peaked at 10.4 million. This year's finale averaged 5.76 million viewers across NBC and the NBC Sports Network, making it the most watched Stanley Cup final on record. Now, of course, obviously, 
the NBA outviewed the NHL when it came to the finals. But the strange thing, according to Forbes magazine, is that the NHL actually sold more tickets to their final games than the NBA did to their seven games. So that's kind of an odd statistic. Also, it was a fitting end to a very climactic season for the NHL. If you recall, they started out in a lockout and didn't get the season going until around mid-January. So the Chicago Blackhawks are the Stanley Cup champions in the NHL. Well, this is a crazy story that I, I almost hate to compare it, but it does. It brings back memories of what happened in 1994 with O.J. Simpson and the slow white Bronco car chase. I'm going to report this based upon the American premise that you are innocent until proven guilty. Wednesday definitely was not a good day for Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez, or should I say former Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez, and today actually was just as bad. Yesterday, Hernandez started out the day being arrested, charged with first-degree murder, and five counts of gun felonies. Now, there is no death penalty in Massachusetts, so should Hernandez be brought to trial and convicted of murder, he doesn't have to worry about the death penalty, but he has to worry about life in prison. And when you sit back and you look at this situation, if he is guilty, and allegedly we have to say that, at age 23, a year after signing a $40 million contract with the Patriots, he is staring at life in prison. He's got a seven-month-old daughter. He's got a fiancé he was planning on marrying. So why in the world would Aaron Hernandez put himself in this situation? Well, the prosecution feels, and this is just what they announced this afternoon during his bail hearing, that he was possibly involved in a double murder last year, and that means that the victim of this murder possibly knew of what was going on, and that may have been the motive for allegedly what Hernandez did. Anyway, we're going to go to Yahoo Sports, Dan Wetzel, and he's going to talk about what's going on with this case and just how it looks like an uphill battle for Hernandez. This was not... Uh, uh spur-of-the-moment shooting. This was not a crime of passion, per se. Uh, this was not an accidental shooting. Um, this was, uh, a, what the state laid out, really a cold-blooded execution over a petty argument, uh, very specifically between 3.23 and 3.27 a.m. Uh, on, the, on the night of the murder. Uh, obviously, they have a body, they have shell casings and things like that. Uh, they have, uh, they were able to do that with text messages, with cell phone connections to phones, uh, and surveillance video of various stores and, and, and city, uh, cameras to show that the two of them drove from Boston to this industrial park where Lloyd was found dead. So they, they feel, you can see where they feel good about putting him at the murder scene. They do not have a weapon and they do not have, uh, really any evidence at this moment on who pulled the trigger whether it was Hernandez or for two other guys, we'll see if more evidence comes up, uh, and you'll see whether uh, anyone else talks or uh, provides, you know, testimony that, that paints one of them, one of them as, the, uh, as the shooter. But uh, it's, it's a circumstantial case at this moment, but it's a pretty strong one that Aaron Hernandez was, was there at the murder of Odin Lloyd, and I think that's what's really going to be problematic for the defense. They're going to have to fight, fight back on that. And then Hernandez's actions since smashing his cell phone, destroying uh, videotape at his home, uh, and various other things. Certainly don't paint of a guy that uh, had no idea anything happened or, or was innocent. So um, it's, I think it will be an uphill battle for Hernandez, but at this moment the, the evidence could be worse. The comparisons between this and the O.J. Simpson trial over almost 20 years ago now are similarly eerie. When you look at how transfixed the country became on not only OJ's arrest at the time, but also just the slow white Bronco chase and then the subsequent trial, 
it's just that the, the two circumstances are just very, very similar. Night, within 90 minutes of being arrested, Hernandez was then released by the Patriots. Of course, everyone knows that Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, is a no-nonsense guy. Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, he's really just not interested in being around this kind of controversy with the team. Mike Silver of Yahoo talks about the Pats releasing Hernandez and trying to figure out what it is that they are going to do from here on out. Well, I think that's Robert Kraft's decision, so by definition it is the right call for him, and he cares about the brand of his team. And I think that the Patriots probably have more information at this point than uh, the general public. Uh, there's NFL securities involved. I'm sure they are privy to elements of this investigation that we are not. Um, you know, I, I could see you could make a case uh, for salary cap reasons, for bonus recovery reasons, or for hoping for the best uh, and trying to get Aaron Hernandez eventually back on the team reasons not to make this move. But I think Robert Kraft felt it was the right thing that uh, he was convinced that this was not something he wanted associated with his franchise any longer. And so, uh, you know, I applaud him for doing what was in the best interest of his uh, his business and making somewhat of a stand. I, I think uh, the fact that the Patriots released him, to me, makes it very unlikely, given these circumstances, that any other NFL team would want to make a commitment to him at this point. And, uh, you know, he, I think he's facing something a lot more severe. He's absolutely right. Hernandez passed through waivers today in the NFL. Nobody picked him up. But also he was back in court this afternoon appealing bail, and that was denied. So the judge will keep him in jail pending the resolution of the court trial. Now, Jeremy Schaap of, again, the Four Letter Network and his report last night. Talk about an effort in futility. Uh, looking at Jeremy Schapp last night, not only did he look ragged in Massachusetts, but he really acted like he didn't know what in the world he was talking about. Not only did he mention Aaron Rodgers instead of Aaron Hernandez three times, he constantly had to repeat himself. And this, of course, upset Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. I don't know how you could get those two upset, except for they have the first name, Aaron. But after everything was done, Rodgers, obviously upset, tweeted out, not funny, ESPN. Jeremy Schaap, to me, is someone who is following on his famous father's Dick's footsteps. He's overrated. He was not prepared to do the report on ESPN last night. And he just was, as I said, ragged. Now, Let's talk about the football side of things and what's going on here with Hernandez. You have to wonder if maybe the Patriots didn't know something was going on. Maybe not to this extent, but maybe they saw this side of Hernandez and decided to take measures. They not only signed Tim Tebow in the offseason, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, Tim Tebow's roommate at the University of Florida when Urban Meyer was the coach was Aaron Hernandez. And you have to wonder if maybe Urban Meyer put Hernandez together with Tebow to maybe calm him down. Now, Aaron Hernandez, time and time again, has said that Urban Meyer was the father figure that he really didn't have at Florida. And it was probably Urban Meyer's recommendation to Bill Belichick to go ahead and draft Hernandez. Nonetheless, uh, Urban Meyer is caught in the middle of this controversy, according to several announcers up in Cleveland at ESPN. The Patriots, could they be moving Tebow to tight end? You never know, because Rob Gronkowski, the starting tight end, is coming back from the back surgery. He probably will only be coming back to the field once the regular season begins in September. And, of course, the Patriots signed Jake Ballard last year, the former Giants tight end, who was undergoing ACL surgery after blowing that out in the Super Bowl two years ago against the Patriots, by the way. And now it looks like they made a great decision by picking him up. But anyway, I'm not going to report too much on this Aaron Hernandez situation. I've got to be honest with you. 
this is something that the courts have to deal with. I don't think that we need to really get into it too much. Uh, we'll just let the courts and the news system handle it, and we'll just concentrate on football on this Ultimate Sports Talk show. Well, this story is uh, picking up some more steam between this trade and the NBA between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. They're engaged in talks involving a blockbuster deal that could move Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets, with new coach Jason Kidd, are vying to compete for the title immediately, and the addition of Garnett and Pierce could really bolster those chances. The Celtics presumably would get back forward Chris Humphreys. Remember him, Mr. Kim Kardashian, before Kanye West got a hold of her? He's got one year left on his contract at $12 million. Now, Gerald Wallace, who has some talent, has three years remaining at more than $30 million, about $10 million a year, and forward Mirza Talatovic to match the salaries along with three first-round picks. Now, the Cavaliers offered the Celtics their two second-round picks for Paul Pierce, so I could see why they would want to pick up these guys and the three first-rounders rather than the two second-rounders. Now, the source added the Celtics are in talks with several teams about potential deals as Danny Ainge, their team president, decides whether to deal his two cornerstones for the opportunity to completely rebuild with draft picks and younger players. But keep in mind, according to David Stern in his infinite wisdom, the Celtics are not allowed to deal with the Los Angeles Clippers. Pierce has a $5 million buyout of his contract that would have to be executed by Sunday, but the Celtics are expected to pick up the $15.3 million option and, and then attempt to trade Pierce. Garnett could block any trade because he has a no-trade clause in his contract, and it's uncertain if he would want to play in Brooklyn. The source added the Celtics are in conversation with multiple teams about multiple players meaning it could be a very interesting night in Brooklyn where the NBA draft is going on. Let's move away from basketball and football and go over to the sport of baseball. And I think Brian Cashman would just as soon Alex Rodriguez would just go away. I have really some thoughts about probably the Yankee fans are included in that, that they would just like to see A-Rod go away. Well, of course, Brian Cashman got upset earlier this week. I'm sure you heard about that. And then he turned around and apologized today. Because when a reporter said that A-Rod had tweeted out that he was ready to play and that his own doctor had given his, him clearance to begin playing baseball again, Brian Cashman said, I wish A-Rod would just shut the blank up. Well, like I said, Cashman apologized for that comment today, but I think it's just a situation where he is totally frustrated with the Alex Rodriguez situation. See, Hal Steinbrenner, when he took over for his father, George, signed A-Rod to that massive contract, and that was against Cashman's advice. Now, A-Rod tweeting is just the final straw because the Yankees like to have things going in a certain order. And A-Rod was trying to circumvent that order that the Yankees like to have done. Plus, Major League Baseball is looking at Rodriguez in that biogenesis scandal. He is one of the players that they are possibly going to suspend for 100 games, along with Ryan Braun of the Milwaukee Brewers. So, can Rodriguez be suspended? What did he do? Will he ever play for the Yankees again? Well, the fact is, I think he'll probably play for the Yankees again. But I think after this season, the Yankees will probably do their best to get rid of him. But then this afternoon, I understand, according to Bleacher Report, and they are reporting, thanks to a couple of reporters, Bill Madden and Terry Thompson of the New York Daily News, who are reporting sources close to this Yankees A-Rod situation, that they believe that Rodriguez has become so spooked by Major League Baseball's investigation into his performance-enhancing drug situation, including the Biogenesis Clinic, that he's looking for a way out. 
And these sources are saying that Rodriguez, who's a three-time American League Most Valuable Player, is aiming for a return to action followed by a possible retirement in order to ensure that he receives the $114 million left on his contract. Now, this is how he would do it. Under the scenario, a suspension would have no impact on his future play. Once he's back playing in rehab games, the sources say, Rodriguez could claim he is physically unable to perform because of the hip injury he is recovering from. Then he would retire from baseball, and that way he could still collect the full amount of his salary, which I said is $114 million over the next five years. Now, does that sound like it's plausible? Absolutely. This is just another shortcut that A-Rod is involved in. The Yankees are fed up with his shenanigans. It used to be when he was hitting home runs and the Yankees were winning ball games with him at third base, they could get around the people that he had coming into the locker room. They could get around him sending his number up to cute women in the stands during playoff games. They could get around him doing the performance-enhancing drugs. In other words, what I'm saying is, as long as the Yankees were winning with A-Rod in the lineup, they could put up with just about anything that he did. But now that they're winning without him in the lineup, they would just as soon they get rid of him. And I think that is what Brian Cashman was so frustrated and upset about. It's an eerie situation in Yankee land. However, they continue to play some good baseball even without A-Rod in the lineup. Well, let's take a look at what's going on with the NBA draft so far. And the Cleveland Cavaliers have shocked the world. They were expected to take Nerlens Noel. Nope. Alex Len. Nope. Mark McLemore. Ben McLemore. Nope. Who did they take? Anthony Bennett, the power forward slash small forward from UNLV, was the number one selection. And did the Cavaliers keep that thing secret for the last couple of months, for crying out loud? Nary a word was said about Anthony Bennett out of UNLV. He's a tweener, what they call a tweener. In other words, he's 6'7", weighs about 240, 250 pounds. He's got a great shot, plays decent defense, he's powerful on the boards, and what the Cavaliers think is that he can move into that small forward position. But people think that his outside shot may be just a little bit suspect. He's going to be explosive. He's going to be the type of guy that the Cavaliers are going to want to have out on the break. And he is the number one pick. And from what I understand by looking at Twitter, they are not expected to trade this pick. So Anthony Bennett, the number one pick for the Cleveland Cavaliers in the draft. The number two draft pick went to the Orlando Magic, and that came out of Indiana. Victor Oladipo is the pick for the Orlando Magic. Of course, he, according to... Jay Billis of ESPN is probably the man who is least likely to fail out of this draft. And the number three pick, to nobody's surprise, this has been the most publicized pick of all. Washington, the Wizards took at number three, hometown product out of Georgetown, Otto Porter. They needed a small forward, and they got their small forward, Otto Porter, out of Georgetown. So Anthony Bennett, number one, to Cleveland. Victor Oladipo, number two, to Orlando. Otto Porter, number three, going to the Washington Wizards. Thanks a lot for joining us here this evening. We're going to take next week off since it's the 4th of July, so I hope you'll be a little understanding about that. We'll be back the next week, the following week, July 11th, to be back with you with the Ultimate Sports Talk radio show here at Ultimate Sports Talk. Don't forget to join us Monday night. It's all fans night. You can tweet us or call in to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show at 9 o'clock here at the Ultimate Sports Talk Radio Network. And then you can also join us next Thursday night. No, like I just said, no, we're not going to be here next Thursday night. Sorry about that. We'll be here on July 11th. And we'll join you then at 7 o'clock, July 11th. Have a good 4th of July, everybody. Let's hope the Cavaliers were right. Anthony Bennett, the number one pick. Have a good night, everybody. Until for two weeks, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good evening. <laughs>